I'm Bob Schieffer. And I'm Andrew Schwartz. And these are conversations about the news. We are in the midst of a communications revolution. We have access to more information than any people in history. But are we more informed or just overwhelmed by so much information we can't process it? These conversations are a year-long collaboration of the Bob Schieffer College of Communication at Texas Christian University and the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. Maggie Haberman, the White House correspondent for the New York Times, joins us this morning from New York. Uh, Maggie comes by journalism naturally. Her dad, Clyde Haberman, was a longtime fixture at the New York Times. She got to know Donald Trump during her days as a reporter for the New York Post. Maggie, your colleague at the Times, Glenn Thrush, said when Trump came to Washington and covering the campaign, the other reporters were surprised at all of the things that uh, he did. But he says, uh, like you, he came up through the New York tabs. And so he said the two of you just sort of took Trump as business as usual. Is, is, that, is that right? I think that's exactly right. Uh, and thank you for having me. Look, there's been this very um, delayed response reaction in Washington where, as you know, the, the coverage of a campaign is often pretty bifurcated from the reporters who cover the government once there is a president. And Trump was so in the campaign, unlike anything we had seen from a major party nominee, I mean, really, the, the, we'd only seen something like this from a, a fringe candidate who was never going to go very far. In this case, the fringe candidate won the nomination in an incredibly divided field with about you know 30% of the vote uh, for most of the primary cycle. But, you know, there there has been this sort of extended stage of, of shock. Um, and I have said a couple of times in the course of the last two months that it's really time for people to move toward the acceptance stage um, because this is who he is. And if you watch the campaign and if you actually read the coverage, you would see that it's this sort of series of, of fits and starts where he takes two steps forward and you know one and a half steps back, and sometimes two steps forward and four steps back. Um, there is some forward motion, but a, a lot of it is just sort of heat without without much uh, happening, and that's very much what he's bringing to the presidency. I mean, he's he's somebody uh, somebody G chatted me, uh, messaged me over over Google a couple weeks ago, a colleague, and she said this is worse than I thought it would be just in terms of, um, this was right after he fired Comey, and I said, this is exactly what I thought it would be. He, he is who he is, and uh, and he was never going to change, and there was all this talk about a pivot during the campaign, and that pivot never came. And so I think if people can eliminate shock from their response, it will be helpful to them covering him. I do think that there's a difference between being sort of vigilant in coverage and rigorous in coverage when something is incredibly unusual uh, and worthy of it, such as firing the FBI director who uh, is overseeing a probe that touches on your campaign. And I think the problem is, is that the cover, the, the tenor of reaction to Trump had been an, you know, an 11 on a scale of 1 to 10 for so long that when Comey happened, I think that for, for some in, in D.C. and I think certainly for readers and viewers nationally, it becomes harder to tell what is truly unusual. What is it like to cover him? I mean, that's the question that people ask me, and I'm, you know, I don't uh, 
I'm not in touch with him or or or, or the story even as as you are. I mean, it's your whole life now. I mean, it it must go from dawn till dark and then beyond that. But what's your what's your work day like when you're covering Donald Trump? Um, it is uh, it is pretty tiring. Um, it doesn't stop. Uh, you know, it it begins with his tweets, which can be as early as five in the morning, although they're usually a bit later these days. And then and then it just goes through the evening, and it's 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 like being in a boat that gets sort of buffeted by a a, a storm of waves crashing against it every three hours or so. Um, things calm down, and then they just start all over again. So um, what is really hard covering him, and this was true in the campaign too, recharging is really hard, and and taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture, because there's so much happening and there's so much activity that you don't want to miss anything. So what's he like to you? Is he mean? Is he um, temperamental? Is he pouty? Is he businesslike? What's he like when you talk to him on the phone? Or And I understand that you do talk to him on the phone uh, or when you talk to him in person. He, um, uh, Glenn and I uh, saw him early on in his presidency in the Oval Office and he said to me, he said, there's two Maggies, the one who the one who talks to me and the one who writes about me. He, meaning the president, said that. And it's actually a pretty uh, astute observation about how reporters do their jobs in general. Look, you know, he's he's very pleasant when we speak, except for when he's not. There are times when he's yelling at me and telling me that he thinks my coverage is unfair. You know, we had a couple of um, uncomfortable moments when we did an interview with him about infrastructure a couple of weeks ago, months ago at this point, where he was berating me about news coverage. Um, you know, it's it's just who he is and it's what he does. And, you know, he's he's interesting in that, you know, he kind of likes the back and forth. So some of it is ventilation. Some of it he said in our interview with him when he was starting in with me about an ancient slight that had absolutely no relation, or it was even a perceived slight, it wasn't even a real slight, that had no relation to what was going on in front of us. Uh, Glenn said, you know, what does this have to do with cars? Because we were there ostensibly about infrastructure and people sort of laughed and the president said, oh, this is like therapy. And I think that's true for him in some respect. Um, He also doesn't really respect people who let him just scream at them. I mean, one of the problems for people in his orbit is, um, you know, he really does yell and he really does believe in dominance and and people sort of uh, get beaten down. He he really um, will roll right over you if you don't stand your ground. And so when we have a conversation about something he doesn't like, I usually push back, you always push back if, you know, there's times I think he has a fair point, um, but I I push back in a in a polite but pretty firm way. I, uh, I would never ask you uh, to reveal your sources for stories, but it's my understanding that Joe Scarborough said this morning uh, on his broadcast uh, that the stories about Jared Kushner came from uh, Steve Bannon. And I know you were one of the people who wrote about that, uh, wrote about Kushner and, I mean, in his uh, conversations with the Russians. Uh, What would you say about that? I could say that Joe is entitled to say whatever he wants about whatever he wants uh, uh, and and however he wants, but we don't talk about sources. Well, of course you don't. (laughs) (laughs) But you being a reporter, you know I had I had to ask. Of course. Oh no, no, no. Tell me me about uh, about Bannon. Uh, Do you deal with him, and what's he like? Um, You know, I mean, I I think that um, 
I think that everybody who is covering the White House or almost everybody who's covering the White House has dealt with Steve Bannon at one time or another. And he was he came into the campaign, which I was covering. So uh, and I had gone on his radio show once or twice when he was at Breitbart. Uh, you know, he can be um, he's he's very smart and he can be very charming. Uh, you know, Trump is also very charming. There is a sort of similar salesman quality that I think both of them have. Uh, but I think that uh I, I think that he this this puppet master image that has been affixed to him, basically since the earliest days of the administration, have uh, not pleased the president, who does not like the idea of anybody um, being seen as controlling him, whether it's Jared Kushner or Steve Bannon. Who would you say is the uh, dominant force in the right White House right now, Kushner or Bannon? Uh, most people gave Bannon credit for the. Uh, leaving the uh, climate uh, agreement? I think it's the wrong question, um, respectfully, in the sense that, like, I mean, and everybody, everybody sort of, I think, looks at it through that prism. I mean, I think the president was never going to withdraw from the Paris Accord. I mean, I'm sorry, was never going to remain in the Paris Accord. And the, so the question then became, how did he withdraw? Um, and that was really where the argument was. Um, and in that respect, if he, you know, he's sticking by the four-year withdrawal process, I don't know that that's a win for Bannon. I think Bannon probably would have wanted him to do it right away. Um, so I think that um, I think that the president is a little more autonomous than people think. I don't think it's I don't think he's sort of wandering around Chauncey Gardner like in every situation, um, waiting to be pulled on by one poll or the other. Um, I do think that the reports of Steve Bannon's um, uh, diminishment were right in the moment, but I think we're exaggerated. Um, you know, he, Trump doesn't fire anybody, and he never really ices anybody out totally. Everything, I mean, he's, someone said this to me, and it was a very smart point, that the Trump is, he's not a manager, he's a, he's a deals guy. And so he sees everything as being on some sliding scale of deal making. And so you never totally jettison somebody because they might be useful to you someday. That's, that's a very interesting point. And I have to say, I never, I never really thought of it quite that way. Let me bring in Andrew Schwartz here. Hi, Maggie. Thanks for being here with us. All White Houses are about the people who occupy them, the staff, the people around the president. But this one in particular has a real sense of personalities around it, not just Jared, not just Steve Bannon. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about Gary Cohn. Um, You know, Gary Cohn spent most of his career on the international business stage. You know, full disclosure, I know where he's from. He's from Shaker Heights, Ohio, outside of Cleveland, mm-hmm. where where my in-laws are from. My father-in-law and Gary's father worked construction together when they were kids. But I saw Gary yesterday. I wasn't physically there, but I saw the photos of him in the Rose Garden while the president announced the climate accord withdrawal. And Gary is in a total schwitz. Now, it might have been hot in the Rose Garden. I don't know. But is his influence declining? I think that um, – I don't think that Gary Cohen and the president have ever had um, – tremendous chemistry. Um, I think that Cohn has this aspirational quality that Donald Trump really likes. Remember, um, Glenn and I did a story about the top 20 people outside of the White House who are influencers with Trump. And, you know, a lot of them are CEOs. And a lot of those CEOs are people who really would not have taken Donald Trump's calls before he was president, or even the nominee um, for the party. Um, You know, Trump was never seen as a titan of business. Um, You know, he was sort of laughed at by the New York business community. Remember, the the phrase you will hear Donald Trump say over and over again is, someone is laughing at us. Someone is laughing at us. You know, that that looms very large for him, not being laughed at. So I think he liked the idea of Cohn. 
but he he and Cohn, um, I don't think, have a tremendous amount of synergy. And I think Gary Cohn said a couple of things on that the, the Europe leg of the of the foreign trip that the president just came back from that did not endear him to the president, among other things. He talked about whether it was you know smart at all to focus on coal as an energy. That was a huge campaign promise for Trump. And while it is true that you know there are not actually there are not these you know hundreds of thousands of mining jobs that the president makes it sound like that are just waiting to be returned. There aren't really that many. It was very against what the president thinks, and I think it's really important. I, you know, you have a White House to your to your point, Andrew. That's it's filled with principals. It's filled with very very senior people who are not used to being staff. And right. I think Gary Cohen falls in that category. And so, I, he said another thing where he talked about the president, and this I think really uh, was a, a factor in Trump's mind moving forward on climate that I think has not gotten a lot of attention. But yes, I know that you know the Macron handshake obviously gave him a. A nudge, but I think that um, Gary Cohen saying that the president was, you know, focusing on the climate accord and tr- and getting, you know, he was he was trying to get smarter. Um, that is a terrible thing to say about Donald Trump. If you are hoping to influence Donald Trump, uh, he never wants to be told that he's not smart enough. So, I think that Cohen is still figuring out the ropes internally. And I guess I would just say that I mean, if you divide these things as as Bob did earlier on and into two camps, right? There's sort of Bannonite and then Kushnerite, uh, and Cohn and Dina Powell fall into that camp. That camp is not doing so great. Well, so who is he close to? Who has Trump really listened to? Who does he like to talk to in the White House? <laughs> Himself, um, he, <laughs> Twitter. Um, he, he, no, I mean, look, he, he he's obviously very close to his daughter. He talks to his daughter a lot. Um, he's really close with Keith Schiller, I mean, Keith is really the sort of the underexamined force here. But Keith Schiller, who was Trump's personal body man, turned White House assistant. He's also most known now as the person who delivered the uh, James Comey dismissal letter uh, to a, uh, an empty FBI office a couple of weeks ago, um, or FBI headquarters, but where because James Comey was in uh, California. Keith is um, has been with him for many many years. He's a former cop for the New York Police Department, and he. He has Trump's best interests at heart, and that's really all he cares about. And Trump, you know, he's he's Trump's sounding board on almost everything now. And he's, you know, Trump, one of the things that I've heard over and over again from people who really care about the president, uh, it, who are close to him, is how lonely he is in the White House. Not that he's isolated, because there's people around all the time, and they've started having these dinners at night to keep his television time down, among other things. But he's he's lonely. And... Keith is, I think, one of the people who provides some sense of emotional sustenance. Um, so is Hope Hicks, who is his spokesman woman on the campaign and is at the White House now. So is Omarosa, uh, you know, star of season one Apprentice, um, who is very close with him again. Um, and I think this is part of why a lot of his aides, not all of them, but a lot of his aides are looking forward to having Melania Trump move because he tends to be calmer when she's around, not not constantly, but enough. Well, that was what I was just about to ask you uh, as you were running through that list. Uh, is she one of those that uh, keeps him from being lonely? I mean, I think that um, for whatever reason, she has a very soothing approach with him. Not all the time. I don't. You know, you, you can never obviously look inside someone's marriage, but he trusts her word on on staff hires. Um, he was not tweeting like crazy when he was on the foreign trip and she was with him. Um, remember, he's kind of a homebody. And so this is somebody who would fly home 
almost every night on the campaign trail to sleep in his own bed. Um, and so I think being away from his wife and son has been uh, has been jarring to him. I guess the reason I brought that up is because of that picture on uh, that got so much play on uh, on social media. The hands, the hand, the yeah, hand, the, the hand swat. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 like I said, I think you can never really peer into anybody else's marriage, um, and it's clearly complicated. I'd be um, in big trouble if uh, I get swatted all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Good. Okay. Well, we'll my wife we'll would make hit sure me with a hammer. So we'll, we'll, we'll put we'll put that on social media next. Um, right. But uh, but I think that um, I think that they obviously they're, they're look we we've all heard reports that there have been some strain in, uh, between them uh, with the presidency. I think she she she'd never wanted any of this. Um, she you know does not like attention. Her her disinterest in attention is often confused with shyness. Um, she's not she's not shy. She doesn't want attention. She's very focused on their son. There, there's a lot about this that I think that she finds uninteresting. She finds unappealing. She doesn't like people peering into her life. Uh, but I think that she has made her peace with moving. Um, it would not have been her preference, I believe, but is doing it. But do you think that's going to happen for sure? I mean, we've seen the reports about the I mean, son I don't being think enrolled Bob- in school and all. Bob, I don't think anyone should ever say for sure with with Trump or any extended extension of Trump, anything attenuated. Um, but as far as I understand it, uh, that move is still on. Maggie, do you think President Trump actually likes being president? No, I think that he likes the. I think he likes parts of it. I think he likes. I think he likes living in that house. I think that he likes the plane to some extent. I think he. I think he likes, you know, the magnitude of the job. I think he likes the theoretical power of the job. I think the reality, which is that the president doesn't actually have as much power as he'd like to have, um, or as autocrats have, um, or authoritarians have, uh, bothers him. And I think that he, um, I think that it's just, I think psychically, look, Howard, it's Howard Stern, you know, noted psychiatrist Howard Stern, but still he, you know, he's known Trump a long time and he had a, I think a pretty wise observation about Trump, that Trump was just not going to be able to handle sort of the emotional pounding of this um, because, and the, and the criticism and it's a lot and Trump really does not like criticism in general. And, you know, he does not really have the ability to mentally tune out you know, what is essentially a large comments section, right? Um, he does, I mean, he's a series of conflicting obli- uh, and, and jumbled um, impulses and instincts. Uh, so one of, I think, the things that people really struggle with is trying to pin him down as, oh, he's going to react X, Y, Z because, you know, this way to X, Y, Z. Well, sometimes he'll react a certain way to X, Y, Z, and then sometimes he'll react a different way. Um, you know, sometimes he's got a plan and that's why he's tweeting. And sometimes he's just tweeting because he's angry. And one of the most difficult things about covering him is that you're never really going to know exactly why he's doing something. Uh, my colleague, ex-colleague Ashley Parker is now at the Washington Post and I used to talk about that a lot. You just are never going to entirely know what the, what the, the operating impulse is behind, um, one of his actions. One thing that I think is a frequent undercurrent is... He's really lonely. He's really isolated. I think he genuinely believed that becoming president was going to be like joining some kind of a club. And instead, it's like, you know, he's, he's living some permanent, you know, prom scene out of Carrie, where, you know, everyone's pointing at him and laughing at him. And that looms really large for him. And I think he's having a hard time. Do you think he feel? I mean, he feels cooped up physically? Well, I know he, I know he feels cooped up because he, you know, he gave that 
really remarkable comment to, uh, uh, I think it was Reuters, about how he loved his old life. And, you know, he was like, you know, I can't drive anymore. I mean, he's not exactly, a, you know, a daily commuter um, in, a, in a Toyota. Like, this is right. somebody who's never drives. He's a homebody, but he feels, he feels re- he, even though he's a homebody, he feels restricted. He does. He li- well, he likes control is very important for him. He has no control right now. And that's very hard for him. Well, let's talk about what's ahead now. Uh, where do you see this whole thing with the uh, FBI director? I mean, we'll all be glued to the TV to see what he has to say when he testifies. Uh, how is what's going on at the White House in connection with that right now? Um, nothing great. Um, you know, there's an enormous amount of anxiety right now. What you've got is Mark Kazowitz, Trump's personal lawyer for a long time, who. Uh, is not familiar with Washington, um, is leading up this team uh, of, of it's, it's the legal team, but I think it's also basically going to be something of a rapid response team. Uh, they're trying to figure it out. Look, this is a White House that was not staffed to appropriate levels in the first place. So to have this happening now where you have to create this whole separate apparatus to respond just to a, a probe has been daunting for them. I, I, I think that they are... Um, I don't anticipate that the president is going to keep Comey from testifying because I think they are aware that that would be um, very problematic to do um, for the president uh, in terms of optics um, and in terms of credibility. Uh, but who knows with him? They could do anything. Uh, but, the, you know, they're, they're certainly not looking forward to him testifying. So what about the White House uh, staff? Do you see more changes coming? I mean, I have to say when they tried to explain uh, how uh, Comey was fired and why the president did it that that first go round I mean it was like the Marx Brothers uh, <laughs> ate the three stooges or something it was everything but uh, Harpo honking that little horn you know ouch uh, what what happens n- now on that uh, look I think it's it's very problematic for the president that they gave so many different answers to why James Comey was fired right I mean look there are legitimate things to complain about with James Comey in terms of how he did his job, in terms of the way that he handled the email probe of Hillary Clinton during the campaign about his, you know, breathtakingly unusual public disclosure um, at that at that news conference that he had, talking about how she was extremely careless but but would not be charged. Um, about the letter he wrote Congress, although I I, I think that's a, that was an understandable position uh, why he did it. Um, I think that there were reasons that you could credibly get rid of him, but the timing of it was just so terrible um, that it was it was bad for the president. Um, and uh, and the fact that they couldn't come up with a consistent answer, as to, to your point, you know, initially it was, oh, well, it was recommended by Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general. Um, then the president gives an interview and says, actually, it was because of the Russia probe. And it was because of the Russia probe. He was really frustrated. So... Um, so that's where that's where this finds itself. And um, look, I think that the events surrounding James Comey's dismissal are going to be key to this Mueller probe, uh, perhaps less key to what you see the House and the Senate intel committees do, although it'll be key to that testimony. Um, but I think this is going to be uh, the, the various answers that Trump and to a lesser extent Jared Kushner about his own meetings uh, with Russian officials have given, um, the conflicts they're in, the change stories, those are going to be very problematic. Uh, let me, uh, since you brought up Kushner, uh, I did not see Kushner or Ivanka yesterday in the Rose Garden. Were they there? Maybe I just didn't see them. 
Uh, they were not. Um, Kushner was um, supposedly at a previously scheduled meeting. Ivanka was um, was uh, observing a Jewish holiday, but I, you know, I, I, I suspect that they were not sorry that they were not there. I was going to say, was he skiing? Yeah. And they, <laughs> yes, he was. Ski, he was. He was on the ski slopes in Arlington, Virginia. Um, did, did, but, but do uh, you see any significance in that? In their absence? Yes. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that you know, I think that I think that both of them can make themselves available when they want to. They have certainly had other moments where they have they have chosen not to observe either Shabbos or a holiday or whatever um, because there were there were you know intervening events. I, I mean, this is they don't. They lost. I mean, they, they did the, their, the evidence of their their lack of ability to move him in a grand way was on huge display in the Rose Garden yesterday. Um, and I think that that's very hard for them because they've invested a lot of energy in letting people believe that they are going to be able to impact him somehow. So, Maggie, will they be able to put this, this uh, Russian thing behind them? Uh, at this point, it seems to me that they haven't, and they they've really put it to the fore more than putting yeah. it to the background. Uh, but is that possible for them to do that? And what will they have to do if they do that? I mean, I think they basically need Mueller to end the probe. Short of that, I don't end the House Intel and Senate Intel committees to end there. Short of that, I don't see where this goes because, you know, they're, and look, the, the, and to be clear, the, 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 the congressional inquiries have become very partisan. So, um, you know, there it's understandable that there are complaints about how those are conducted. I don't, they will still continue, um, and partisan politics will be with us forever. Um, unless Mueller moves fast and, and in moving fast says, you know, there's really no there there, I don't see how this ends quickly for them. And I think the president's inability to stop talking about it is his biggest problem. Speaking of that, explain to me, what what is your feeling about the fact that these tweets come at these odd hours <laughs> of the day? I mean... You know, I mean, I'm older than Donald Trump, but he is 70 years old. And, and the idea of uh, of a 70-year-old man tweeting in the middle of the night, uh, I, I don't understand how that is or why that is. What what do you think that's about? I, th- I mean, look, he did this during the campaign. So I think he thinks, you know, this is just who I am. This is one of those moments where the 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 gravity of being president hasn't quite um, sunk in for him, to put it mildly. Um, I, you know, look, he likes it. I mean, I don't. I, I, I it sounds like a ridiculous answer, but like usually the best answer is the simplest one. You know, he likes the idea that people are hanging on his words. The confefe tweet the other night was a, a new level of strangeness. So I don't. I don't. I don't quite understand what happened there. Have we figured out um, what that word means yet? No, I, and according to Sean Spicer, it's a very, very secret group of people who know, um, along with the president, which was one of the most um, laughable answers um, in a series of laughable answers. That it's like the secret code given. word on the decoder Se- ring exa- that you found. Right, in the- exactly. They know exactly what he meant. And it was on the, you know, it's it's on the, the, the box of Ovaltine. Um, I don't, you know. Um, but uh, look, I, I think that... Um, I think that I think Bob, you are you are hitting on an important point, which is that there is a weirdness factor to that. That I think that people just can't understand um, because it makes no sense. Why? I mean, forget about forget about age, forget about any of that. It's just you're the president. 
United States. Well, and it's three. It's three in the morning, and you're tweeting about confefe. But, um, but, yeah, so. but the other, <laughs> you know. But the other part, Maggie, is let's just forget about tweets. Why is he up at three o'clock in the morning? Well, he I doesn't mean, sleep. What he is does this to be, a regular look, sleep pattern? That he, he, he doesn't look. That that I don't. That I cut him slack on. He doesn't sleep. He's not a. He's not a good sleeper. He never has been. Um, uh, so, so we've all been told. I mean, one other thing to bear in mind about him is um, he, he hates the idea that anybody considers himself a subject matter expert in him who's not him. Um, and he doesn't like when people are too personal talking about him. Um, but that said, there are a lot of people around him who are more than happy to talk about uh, what he's like, you know, behind closed doors. Um, you know, and he's talked about over the years not needing much sleep um, and that he doesn't sleep. Um, more than I think about four hours a night. I think that that bears out. I mean, the, I don't understand the sort of gaps in sleep where it seems like he's probably been asleep and then he wakes up. Although I will tell you, having having three children and not having slept through the night in um, more than 11 years, that's that to me is like the least of the, the things uh, before us. Do you suppose it has anything to do with, does he take sleeping pills, for example, or, or something that might because he seems to have an entirely different demeanor sometimes in these tweets than he does uh, in in different uh, forms of communication. I don't know to what to attribute it to, but I do know that even during you know normal daylight hours, you can see his mood swing pretty dramatically from one event to another. So I don't know how much of it has to do with anything else. Maggie, let me ask you this: I mean, you're you're covering an, a fascinating subject and who's involved with fascinating subject matter. The story every day is interesting. How much of your time do you spend trying to figure out who Donald Trump is personally and what he does? You know, for instance, the images of Keith Schiller keeping him company versus, you know, um, more serious policy matters or matters related to the investigation. I spend more time than I would care to and than I imagine I ever would have had to with another president, with the possible exception of Bill Clinton, who also needed a mood decoder ring um, for certain portions of the day. Um, uh, but I spend more time than I would care to uh, devoted to what you know his aides very dismissively and aggravatedly describe as palace intrigue stories, but that's really not what it is. These are the stories of this presidency. Um, and they are just all there on display for you. Um, I do think there is a sameness to it. And I think that, the, you know, with Trump, there is just a never ending cycle of who's up, who's down. Um, Trump fosters that because he has this habit when he speaks to one aide, he'll ask them, you know, what do you think of this other aide? And then he'll do the same with the other aide. What do you think of that other aide? Um, and so people constantly, he, he likes the concept of having people be on edge and feel a little, a little off kilter in his orbit. Um, it's part of his, his management style. Um, but I spend, I spend more time than I would care to thinking about this. However, I don't spend as much time as some of my colleagues who haven't covered him before do, right? I mean, like, I, I sort of get what the formula is. So, right. so less, less than I might otherwise if I hadn't done this for the last year and a half. Who, who really stands their ground? I mean, you talked about people standing their ground with him when he's yelling or when he's berating or when he's you know, questioning someone's loyalty, you know, who, who's good at that? And how far can you actually take it? I mean, certain people don't really need to work for them. They, you know, they don't need the job. They might not want the job. They might get frustrated and say, you know, to heck with this job. Mm -hmm. what, what's the fine um, line with him? I mean, look, I think it just depends on who the person is. There are some people who he does not permit to talk back to him in any meaningful way. There are some people who can. Um, 
You know, it's funny though, it isn't that people just tell him yes all the time. There are people telling him no. He just doesn't listen. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't I don't think there is somebody who is like the ultimate swayer. There really isn't. I mean, it, when he's made up his mind that he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And it's really hard to talk him out of it. Um, so I think that, um, I don't think that there is like this one, this one sort of focal point. I think there are people who have better luck on some days than others. Uh, Maggie, as a reporter, have you ever covered a person or a story or a White House where there are so many people that are willing to talk? No. I mean, this is shocking. And, and you know, and I'm sure you, you have a similar view and you've been doing this um, much, much longer and much better than I have. Um, I mean, it certainly in, in look, I mean, Rudy, Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani's um, City Hall, Mike Bloomberg's City Hall, I covered both of those. I covered Hillary Clinton's various campaigns. I covered the Obama campaign, covered the McCain campaign. I've never seen something like this, um, where there's just no sense of where the line is um, and what is sacrosanct that you don't leak out. And like, I mean, people are just, people are so worried about their how they are perceived um, as opposed to sort of what is good for the administration. I mean, one of the things that's funny is, you know, Jared Kushner has spent a lot of time saying to people, um, you know, uh, people need to, who aren't, there are a lot of people who have their own agendas and don't have the agenda of the president, but Jared Kushner doesn't have the agenda of the president, right? I mean, Jared Kushner wants all kinds of things that this president doesn't agree with. So um, you have a lot of people who are posturing to make sure that their own coverage is fine. And that I've never seen anything like. Maggie, I wanted to ask you about a poll that came out this week. This is a media poll that said, uh, by the Huffington Post slash YouGov that said 83% of Trump voters believe the media is hostile towards them. Um, if you flip it to Hillary voters, it's, you know, 68% of the Hillary voters say the media is an ally or friendly to people like them. What's it like for you reporting for the New York Times in a climate like this? Um, it's, a, it's a more difficult climate than I've ever seen. I mean, look, I think that you can't underestimate the degree to which social media has changed so much of this in terms of the views that people have of news outlets, that they have of individual reporters. Um, you know, it's, um, it, but it's hard. I mean, I, I had to, um, we're much more aware of it. You know, I know that there was a lot of strum and drong about the getting rid of the public editor role at the New York Times. I mean- Just this week. Twitter, yeah, Twitter is a giant public editor. Um, and so, uh, I, and I think that, um, and I think that there's an enormous amount of criticism trained on us at all times. Um, it's not an easy, um, it's not an easy world to, to do this in. It's very different than it was even four years ago. And I don't, I wish I had some more masterful way of describing it. I don't. It's just, um, it's exhausting. Does it make it more exciting as a reporter? Um, <laughs> I'm very tired. So if I get a little more sleep, if I get a little more, if I get a little more sleep, yes, then, then, then it'll become exciting again. It is, uh, but it is. Uh, I'll swear it. Yeah, I think it is a, a, a rougher world, and, and and you and I have yes. covered some pretty tough things. But I got a letter yeah. from a woman the other day, seventy-seven years old, who called me a termite, and oh. I've, I've been called huh. many things over the years, but termite is a new one. And <laughs> every day and every way, something new and different happens. 
That's very specialized. That's a very specialized niche, a termite. Good. I've never, I've never, I've never actually envisioned us that way. Before. It takes thought. It's interesting. Yes. Sure. <laughs> I, I actually saved the letter. I mean, it was not even an email, which you, you know, yeah. you don't get that much uh, snail That's mail true. anymore, like we That's used very to. True. But, uh, but I actually saved that. Well, well, Maggie, it is just an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I will have to say, uh, you. So I'm not being objective here. Uh, I'm a big fan and you are doing a great job and we we all appreciate what you're doing there so so thank you for being with us thank you I'm a a huge very long time fan of yours so thank you for having me on this was a treat thank you Maggie and uh, for Andrew Schwartz this is Bob Schieffer thanks for listening Is it a physical attraction? Is it sexual satisfaction? Is it long life together? Going through all kinds of weather. Is it holding each other's hands? Making all kinds of plans. Never, never saying goodbye. Never, never making each other cry Love is all the above That's what love is Love is everything Underneath the sun That's what love is Ah, All of the above Is it a walk in the park? Or is it kissing in the dark? Is it strolling in the rain? Is it joy? Or is it pain? If blood really the answer, then what could be the question? I look in the sky and I pray Love is all the above That's what love is Love is everything Underneath the sun That's what love is
Let's get it.